electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan tonight. Jamie Dimon sounding off on Fitch. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, you know, the markets decide. It's not the rain agencies make these big decisions. And that is just the start of what we heard from Jamie on CNBC. Under the hood, what has day traders day selling Robinhood shares right now? Move over AI. A new potential craze has captivated some tech investors. Well, we've seen it with soccer and baseball, and now Apple reportedly is looking to add college football to its offerings. Should employers pay for your Ozempic? Star trainer from The Biggest Loser, Jillian Michaels, has a stern warning. Plus, have we completely lost our manners at the movies? We shine a light on the things people now do when the theater goes dark. It's a lot of fun and games. Those stories and much more. Don't you move. Last call is up right now. Welcome to Last Call. First up tonight, greed meet fear. Whether it was the Fitch downgrade or a number of companies pulling up lame on earnings, investors were reintroduced to a new familiar color today, red. The Dow tumbled more than 340 points, its worst day since March. The tech-heavy Nasdaq dropped more than 2%, its worst day since February. And the S&P 500 pulled back more than a percent. The last time that's happened... May 23rd, 47 trading days, the longest streak without a 1% drop in the S&P in more than three and a half years. Mega caps led today's carnage. Apple and Amazon closing firmly in the red ahead of tomorrow's big earnings. We'll have a little bit more on that later. Meantime, chip stocks got crushed. AMD dropped 7%. NVIDIA, 5%. Intel and Micron pulled back 4%. And then there are a number of names lower after hours on earnings. How much more turbulent can things get? And if you've been waiting to buy the dip, what should you do tomorrow? Let's talk about it with our A-list panel. Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich and Chief Strategist at 248 Ventures, Lindsay Bell. Thank you both for joining Last Call. All right, I already asked the question, Lindsay. What do you do tomorrow? Hey, look, I think that Fitch gave the Bears a gift. They've been pounding the table for a pullback for a while now. The last two months, they've had an endure and almost 10% run up in the market, and they got their pullback. For the bulls that haven't been able to participate in that run up, this could be a gift. I'm not saying the sell-off is over for sure. We are in the seasonally weak period of the year. I'm sure Ryan can tell you a lot more about that. Um, And this could remain an overhang as it was a reminder to investors that hey, at the end of September, beginning of October, the the budget debate could lead to a government shutdown, could lead to a little more turbulence. So I think that uh, on pullbacks in stocks, especially in the big stocks, the high flyers that are pulling back big time here, 
it could be an opportunity. So, Ryan, we saw this sell-off really concentrated in the mega caps. If you see the big seven pulling back post-earnings, we've got Apple and Amazon tomorrow. Can the broader market rally still steam ahead? Yeah, thanks for having me back. And apparently stocks do go down, right? You look at it here. <laughs> we think it can. I mean, we just released our mid-year outlook a couple weeks ago. And we said this rotation, and a lot of people have been talking about this. But, you know, mid, we like mid-caps and small-caps. They did okay today, right? I mean, it was the big names that did poorly. Let's think about this for a second here. In 2011, when the um, that first downgrade happened, the S&P dropped, you ready for this? 6.66666. Today was less than 1%. So again, I know, you know, it's apples to oranges, but we think it was just ready time for one. Like Lindsay mentioned there, everyone talked about this. August can be pretty weak. September is pretty weak. Here's what got me. When you're up at least 17.5% for the year heading into the normally weak August, August is only been higher three out of 11 times with some pretty good sized drops. So our, we've been over at equities all year. People haven't liked that call. They're coming around to it. Some of these long-term bears are starting to kind of say, oh, sorry for being bearish. The contrarian signals are warning us. We think maybe four to 6% pullback be a buying opportunity. But hey, we are in that seasonally weak time frame with a little optimism. Maybe it's time for a little break. Ryan, the devil is in the details here. When we get a lot of earnings reports that come out and beating expectations, and we've seen a lot of them, just tonight I watched MGM come in and beat expectations, really bullish commentary, amazing performance in Macau, and yet the stock in extended trading was off the last time I looked, down 6%. When you have good news that is greeted with bad action, what does that indicate for what's to come in, in the market? Yeah, at least in the near term, I think it does indicate kind of the first answer here. Just things are a little frothy, people a little excited. The market's just ready simply for a break. I mean, as of last week, we had like 89% of companies above their 50-day moving average, highest in a while above a 200-day. Again, these signals usually are bullish longer term, but near term, you can have a pullback. Just think of this. We're five months in a row, right, on the S&P 500. You can have, you know, some pullbacks eventually in the near term, but a year later, S&P has been hired 26 out of 28 times up almost 12.5% on average. So I think investors need to realize a little correction here, a little pullback to scare and refresh people is fine, but the bigger upward trend is still in play and we're still bullish overall here. Oh, and then the bullish sentiment really continues to grow here on Wall Street. We got a revision today from the Bank of America. It has said no more that they think it's uh, not going to have a recession. We saw the, something similar yesterday from Oppenheimer. But Bank of America really is the first large bank officially to reverse its call. Should investors here be nervous when they see all of these bullish calls, but coming on the heels of what, a 20 percent rally, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, some of these calls can be lagging in, in, in effect. But I think that it's important to see that they are changing their tune and, the, and they are turning more positive because what we're seeing is that's aligning with what we're seeing in earnings, what we're seeing in economic data. And we saw that in, in a lot of the numbers that came out this week. And of course, most importantly, is going to be the jobs number that comes out on Friday, which is expected to be good. We got ADP, which doesn't always necessarily correlate directly to what we're going to see on Friday, but it was a good number. And I think the manufacturing data that we've gotten recently, the housing data that we've gotten recently, 
cooling inflation, these are all signs that the economy is 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 potentially starting to accelerate uh, from here. So I think that's a good thing. And then when I look at earnings, you mentioned MGM. A lot of these companies have gotten price to perfection. Valuations have gotten stretched in some of these companies. Um, and so when they report good earnings, they've got to be not just good, they've got to be great. Uh, we saw that in MasterGuard. We saw that in Microsoft. Uh, we saw it in Zillow today after the bell as well. So I think that, that the market taking a breather, maybe even seeing a little bit of a pullback in, the, in this month and the next month, I think that's going to be okay, like Ryan said. And I think that it's not going to necessarily derail the rally that we could see into the end of the year. We heard Jamie Dimon in that quick soundbite at the top shrugging off the Fitch downgrade. Lindsay, you seem to follow suit with that. Do you think, Ryan, that the Fitch downgrade is simply the excuse to sell? Or does it not matter? Like, was this not even a factor in what we saw today? Was that question for Lindsay or I? Just make yeah, sure. Ryan. Okay, got it. First off, I think it's more of an excuse. I mean, I love I love what he said, right? He talked about different factors out there, and I think it was just more that excuse. I mean, Lindsay, Lindsay and I have been some of the few bulls that have been out there. Just go look at my Twitter feed. Look at her Twitter feed. If you're bullish, people are still mad at you. I get to do client <laughs> events a lot with our partners. People, the average question I get is not, hey, how high is this market going to go? It's what's going to go wrong. So sentiment's still dour. There's some optimism there. One quick one, though. We just went more than two months without a 1% drop. As we know, we've all been talking about today was 1% drop. So I took a look since 1990. 27 times. We went at least two months without a 1% drop. What happened next? One year later, the S&P was higher 26 out of 27 times. So again, now believe me, one month, three months, you can have some more weakness correction territory, weakness and choppiness. But I think it's important to remember that just because we had a big down day today, and honestly, is it really that big? It just feels big. I haven't had it in a while. It's not <laughs> the end of the world, everybody. All perspective. Glass half full, glass half empty. Is it a time to buy the dip? Lindsay, Ryan, thank you both. Appreciate your time. Let's get to our studs and duds. The biggest winner of the day, Aflac, jumping 5.7%. For the biggest loser, Generac, falling a whopping 24%. The generator company just missed on earnings. Let's take a look at futures and see how things are shaping up for tomorrow. Hey, in the green, just slightly, S&P 500, a tenth of a percent. Dow Jones, about the same. NASDAQ, about the same. But let's see how things look through the overnight hours. Up next, the possible technological breakthrough. Investors are just foaming at the mouth over it. Tech investor Dan Ives says the new superconductors could turn Clark Kent into Superman. Plus, the star trainer from Biggest Loser joins us to talk about why we may want to run away from the tidal wave of weight loss drugs. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday 
and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you'll be talking about tomorrow morning. And first up, another blow to former President Donald Trump. The billionaire DeVos family appears to be backing Trump's rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, in the 2024 Republican presidential contest. That's according to a recent campaign filing. The Orlando Magic donated $50,000 to the pro-DeSantis super PAC, Never Back Down. The DeVos family owns the NBA franchise. The team's spokesperson declined to comment on the news. Next up, good news for Apple and Goldman Sachs. Their new high-yield savings account has reached $10 billion in U.S. deposits. It comes as the companies face speculation they may be headed for a breakup. Apple reports that since the launch in April, 97% of savings customers have chosen to have their daily cash back automatically deposited into their account. Meantime, shares for Robinhood are down after hours following the company's second quarter earnings report. CNBC's Kate Rooney has been following that and joins me now. Why? Hey, Contessa. So a couple reasons here. Well, Robinhood turned a surprise profit. That was really a shock to a lot of people. And it was a milestone for the company. It was the first profitable quarter in the company's two-year history since it went public. That was thanks to some cost-cutting and the boost of higher interest rates. That positive surprise, Contessa, was overshadowed by this drop we saw in monthly active users. That is the reason we're seeing the stock drop after hours. The brokerage firm lost a million active users in the quarter. It's got 10.8 MAUs, as they're called. One silver lining, they are making more revenue per user. That increased to 84 bucks from 77 in the beginning of the year. Aside from that drop in users, analysts I'm talking to say it was a pretty solid quarter. Their company is making good on its promise to cut costs. CFO Jason Warnick telling me that this was all the result of maintaining some of that cost discipline they've talked about. Bottom line was also helped by higher interest rates. Net interest income jumped for Robinhood in the quarter. That was partially offset, though, by slower trading activity. That's really Robinhood's bread and butter, something called transaction-based revenue. Slowed across asset classes, options decreased 5%, equities 7%, the sharpest drop by far was in crypto. Transactions there were down 18% company also improving its outlook for expenses for the rest of the year. Part of that is stock-based compensation and what they're paying some of their executives. Contessa, what's an earnings call, though, without talking about AI? CEO Vlad Tenev saying that Robinhood's taking a hard look at artificial intelligence. We think every company will need to become an AI company. And I think given our track record of innovation and the technologies that make up uh, the Robinhood offering, We think we're naturally positioned to become the leader in financial services for AI. Um, We're excited to explore further how the technology can improve all aspects of the Robinhood experience for our customers and create efficiencies in how we offer our products and run our business. We're actively engaged also in recruiting high-quality talent to lead these efforts at Robinhood. The brokerage startup that's always been known for stock trading is also getting into a lot of traditional banks and brokerage territory. It's offering 3% matching on retirement funds. Also bought a credit card startup. Executives say it's going after younger people that might have limited credit history, but reasonable earnings potential. They think that the technology they have and underwriting capabilities can help with some of the risk there and keep that in check. 
It's also, they say, will expand Robinhood's value proposition. Contessa. Kate, that's interesting. If they're buying a credit card company, are they in M&A mode? Are they looking for more acquisitions? It sounded like it on the earnings call. So the CFO said they're sitting on about $6 billion worth of cash. You've seen what's happened to the valuation of Robinhood itself, but also a lot of its competitors and private startups out here in Silicon Valley are a lot more affordable than they were a year ago. It said that it's something that they're looking very strongly at. He didn't name any names, but it's absolutely something on the roadmap. Six billion in cash is a lot. They have to hold some of that for regulatory reasons, so they can't spend the whole thing. But they've got what you would call dry powder to spend on potential acquisitions. All right. Robinhood shares down, though, almost 7 percent in extended trading. Kate Rooney, thank you. Still Thanks, ahead, Kate. viral videos from South Korean researchers sending traders to a tizzy about Oh my goodness, is this a breakthrough in chip technology? We're going to separate back from science fiction with Dan Ives next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Last Call. Hey, move over, chat GPT. There's a potential new tech disruptor in town. Maybe. It's called LK99, reportedly the first superconductor that can transmit electricity at room temperature and ambient pressure, and will, according to the team of South Korean physicists who created it. It will usher in what they call a new era for humankind. They're setting the bar rather high there. These scientists claim that the new technology could be used for multiple applications, such as magnets, motors, levitation trains, power cables, and quantum computing. And if you think it sounds too good to be true, you're not alone. Lots of people have called these reports bogus or at least suspect. Regardless, several superconductor-related stocks, mostly based in China or Korea, one in the U.S. as well, have seen surges on the heels of these papers. A Jeffries financial analyst even released a note saying, and here's a quote, If LK99 is proved true and able to be mass-produced, it would be disruptive for a wide range of industries, if being the key word there. Joining me now to offer some insight into how big a deal this has the potential to be for the tech sector, Wedbush Securities Managing Director, Senior Equity Research Analyst Dan Ives. Thank you for joining me in studio for Last Call. All right, so I said if. You've read the papers. They, they've not been peer-reviewed, published in a journal, you know, the kinds of steps that you would normally want to see before you throw your eggs in this basket. But overseas, there's a lot of excitement about it. I mean, this would be transformative, revolutionary if it actually proven true. It's going to have to be stress-tested. But ultimately, if you really think about it, this would be, from a superconductor perspective, turning Clark Kent into Superman scalability cost would really be a game changer. I've read through some of the science behind it, and they say, look, part of the skepticism is that, uh, one, it's not peer-reviewed, but two, they have this lead appetite. This is the actual material, which doesn't on its face seem like a great conductor of electricity, and then they go from there. 
what kind of testing, what kind of peer review would turn buyers into the skeptics? Well, if you go back the last few years, there have been a lot of false starts on this, especially the room temperature, because that's that's the holy grail. The golden goose, and I think what would really change, if it could be stress tested from a room temperature perspective, you're going to see all types of researchers and labs do this type of testing. But I think the price action you saw in Korea, and I think ultimately in China, it's bullish, especially for some of these companies that potentially play into that. But just like you said, we need to see how this plays out, you know, in terms of the coming months. You know, it's interesting, though. You don't come off as thinking bullish, but maybe not. You don't think it's necessarily bull. Look, I think you, you have to ultimately see how this ultimately gets stress tested. But I think what we've seen the last a year ago, you talk about AI, chat, GPT. People thought that that was hype. Look where we are today. So I think the types of technologies happening, especially coming out of labs, you cannot just discount. And this is something that within the technology world, everyone's focused okay, on. Okay, if it's true, if it disrupts technology or whatever, who's, who are the big losers? Who are the big winners? Well, I think the winners, especially would be in Asia. If you look at Korea, you look at China, I'd say from a country perspective, some of the component players, potentially Taiwan Semi could be a beneficiary. Now the losers, if you think about it from an AI perspective, even some of the price action you saw today, a little pressure on some of the chip names. And there's questions, could you have some losers there on some of the, the larger chip players and Intel and some others? But I just think right now we are in a fourth industrial revolution that's playing out, whether it's ChatGPT, whether what we saw here with LK99, I think it's just the start of what's really a gold rush. We are looking at a monster Thursday for earnings. In your world, Apple and Amazon come out. First, Apple, we're expecting a new phone. What's the magic number for Apple to hit here? Look, I think really it's about forecast in terms of Cook and Cupertino giving some sort of forecast on the China anecdotally what demand looks like. We believe demand strong. We think they beat on iPhones. I think it really comes down to what type of appetite you're seeing globally for iPhone 15. That's what the drum roll is going to be about. That's what's going to dictate the stock. We continue to think this is going to be bullish, not just for Apple, but I think for broader tech. When Cook talks, everyone listens. So it's not necessarily a number. It's more of the storyline that comes out of this call. This is really all about the growth and the forecast. You know, as well as what we'll see with Amazon and Jassy, that's really, especially on the cloud side, a lot of focus on those numbers. Okay, so cloud is going to be the important thing for Amazon. Are you paying, how much attention are you paying when it comes to Amazon to what has always been their core business on online shoppers? Ironically, I think that's one where the street's more and more discounted that. You're definitely going to continue to have softness. I think from a cost perspective, you're seeing efficiency. But what's going to dictate for the stock, it's really cloud, the sum of the parts. We saw strength from Nadella, saw strength from Google. Is Jazzy going to deliver? There, were a, there was AI everywhere in all of the, you know, Kate Rooney was just telling us about uh, Robin Hood. We heard from Christina Partsinevelis yesterday on AMD how much AI was mentioned. Should you and I make a bet on how much Apple and Amazon work AI into their earnings Yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably 100 times between the both of them maybe might be the, the sort of under over. I think you're going to see that too. But it's not just hype, it's real. And remember, right now, you know, if you look at it, continue from a cook perspective, playing uh, you know, chess, others are playing checkers. You noticed that he didn't put real money on that, right? Okay. Dan, thank you. Thank you. Speaking of Apple, the company hit a major milestone five years ago today. 
2.0705 is the high tick of the day. And Apple, for the first time uh, in history, uh, a company is worth $1 trillion. Carl Quintanilla has not changed an iota in five years. Apple truly has. There he was reporting on the big moment on Wall Street. Apple's epic run would not end there. Since 2018, the company's value has tripled. In June, the company hit a $3 trillion market cap. No other company has done that. To put it into some perspective, Apple's current market cap is larger than the combined values of NVIDIA, Meta, Tesla, and Coca-Cola. How do you like them apples? We'll see what happens tomorrow. Still ahead, Leslie Picker on assignment in beautiful Montana after a triumphant interview with Jamie Dimon. Leslie, what do you have? Hey, Contessa, you're right. We're out here in bear country, but Jamie Dimon's sounding pretty bullish about the state of the U.S. economy. We'll have more on our exclusive from our exclusive interview with the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase after this break. Welcome back. Time now for our last call watch list. And for the time being, we're going to rename this segment what is going on with Tupperware and Yellow? <laughs> Let's start with Yellow here. Shares for the failing trucking company have broken their previous rally, falling just more than 16% today. But the stock is still up more than 300% since Monday. And finally, the Tupperware rally is over. Shares for that company have dropped more than 31% today. Looked like the meme stock manias just taking a bit of a rest. Even the memers need a break. Despite the recent dip, Tupperware, though, is still up nearly 500% since mid-July. Next up, our own Leslie Picker sat down with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon for an exclusive and a wide-ranging one-on-one interview. They talked the state of the economy, the aftermath of the banking crisis, and lots more. And Leslie Picker joins me now to condense it all into a much shorter conversation. Hi, Leslie. (laughs) Hey, Contessa, as I alluded to in the tease, overall, he was pretty optimistic about the state of the economy, about the state of the consumer. But he was critical of a few things, namely the Fitch decision to downgrade the U.S.'s rating. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, You know, the markets decide. It's not the rating agencies make these big decisions. Number two, they point out some issues which we all knew about, about our debt ceiling crisis and things like that. But uh, number three, most important, the American public, this is the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's still the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's the most secure nation on the planet. And I would point out to the rating agency, if I could, that there are a bunch of countries rated higher than us, like AAA, but they live under the American uh, enterprise military system. For, to have them be AAA and not America is kind of ridiculous. He was also pretty critical of regulators, calling the Basel III endgame proposal, which, as you recall, lifts capital requirements for large banks, quote, hugely disappointing. I'm not sure it's the right thing for America. And, and we'll be, we're still reading all the details, it's a thousand pages long. I also want to point out, it's 10 years after the crisis. You know, so this has been going on for a long time. We need certainty, policy, that, you know, the stress test clearly didn't work. So we, you know, we look at we do a hundred a week. They do one, and they act like that's the real stress for the company. I'm far more worried about China and cyber than I am about that stress test. He said higher capital rules would not have prevented what he calls the mini banking crisis from the spring. As for the state of the industry now, Diamond says, "quote It's the best financial system in the world." That strength is part of the strength of America, and you know, part of what America free enterprise is the most important part. It's not the money; it's the people. 
is people starting things and growing things and moving places and having dreams and being allowed to further those dreams, which has risk. You know, sometimes you make a loan has risk. We want to make some risky loans. In that description, in Bozeman, Montana comes to mind, for example. It was helped by COVID-induced migration and, of course, the hit show Yellowstone. It's one of the fastest-growing small cities in the U.S. Earlier today, we visited one of the new Chase branches to service the growing population here. Uh, I caught up with Jennifer Roberts, who is the CEO of Chase Consumer Banking, who told me why they're opening branches while many of her peers are shuttering them amid the digital age. We look at all the markets where we're underpenetrated, where we have very low branch share, and know that we have significant opportunity to grow if we continue to build branches. And I know that's a little bit different than some of our competitors, and we often say, do people really go into branches? Well, we had more than 40 million customers come into our branches last year, and they really want the best of both worlds. They want digital, and they want great digital experience, but they also want to talk to a person when they have a challenging situation. There's a recent NBER study that found that stock prices of banks with lower branch density were the ones that plummeted the most during recent banking crisis during the recent banking crisis because they saw larger outflows of uninsured deposits. So maybe brick and mortar is kind of getting back in vogue, especially after what we saw in the spring, Contessa. Well, maybe that's what you're going to tell me about a bus tour, too, because Jamie Dimon has been known for that for a long time. And, and you know, if if you're going back to focusing on the way that people had traditionally banked, what's the bus tour about? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, Contessa. They're very thoughtful about kind of what regions they go to each year. They're usually areas that they see as expansion markets. So this year it was all about the Pacific Northwest with Washington, as well as the Rockies, Idaho, Montana, uh, and the like. And what this is really about, it's about kind of getting out of the C-suite, getting out of the coasts, going and meeting people in the branches, going and meeting um, small businesses, going and meeting medium-sized businesses, um, and other clients in these regions, having some FaceTime. Um, as Diamond describes it, he gives his, um, his employees beer and immunity and asks them to tell them, you know, what's really happening on the ground. You know, they can say anything they want and they will still get to keep their job. So it's it's kind of part <laughs> listening tour, part client services uh, and part just kind of rediscovering what the middle of co- the country is, is focused on right now. Well, I, I'm guessing that in Montana, they're like, oh, yeah, he comes to get away from the coast. And who does he meet in Montana? But all the people from California and New York who've relocated to Montana. <laughs> if not days. for the summer, then forever, <laughs> right? You know that's true. Leslie, thank you. Nationwide, employers are debating whether the health insurance they pay for should cover weight loss drugs. The use of Ozempic and Wigovi, among others, is so widespread, Morgan Stanley analysts just raised their estimate for the market from $23 billion to $77 billion worldwide. Astonishing. Average cost for those drugs, between 900 and 1300 bucks a month for each patient. Prices that make employers think twice about covering them as part of their health plans. The University of Texas system recently announced it would end coverage for Wigovi and Saxenda for employees, citing high costs. Ascension Healthcare made a similar move last month. So who should be on the hook for them? Joining me now, Jillian Michaels, celebrity fitness trainer, health and fitness expert from NBC's The Biggest Loser. I I probably wouldn't have to push the envelope much to think that you don't think that everybody should be using Ozempic to lose weight. 
I don't. Um, here is the thing, right? We want people to be healthier and we want to save money. Healthcare costs in our country are upwards of $4 trillion. Of course, we want to cut that back. It's obscene. But I don't believe that semaglutide, which is the drug that is in Wagovi and Ozempic, is a permanent or effective solution to either of these two things. Because we don't know the lasting ramifications of being on these drugs for an extended period of time. We know the side effects over the course of 68 weeks, and I believe the longest trial that was just completed was two years, are pretty significant. And you can run the risk of thyroid cancers, pancreatitis, gallbladder issues, liver issues, vision loss, nausea, vomiting, heart palpitations, and this is on their website. So you would think, okay, in our cost-benefit analysis, right, well, obesity is also a very dangerous condition. And it lends itself to cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and so on. If this was a permanent solution, there might be a conversation to be had here. But we already know that when people come off the drug, they put on two-thirds of the weight they lost within the first year alone. So I would love to see employers getting behind permanent solutions, wraparound services, education on nutrition, supporting fitness programs for their employees that help them get better for the long run with zero negative side effects. Jillian, I, I know because I watched The Biggest Loser long enough to have seen mm -hmm. the way that you were pushing people past their own comfort zone. It's not comfortable to lose weight. And if you are <sighs> up against what seems like an insurmountable amount of weight that needs to be dropped, it seems like an insurmountable challenge. If people can find some, I mean, we always talk about this, there is no magic pill, but if there's a magic pill for what this is, why wouldn't employers do this in conjunction with all the other things that they're talking about? That, that if this is what you need to get started, maybe it gives people mm -hmm. a chance then to move to the kinds of life-sustaining activities you wanna see. I understand exactly what you're saying. However, if you look at the mechanism behind this drug and how it facilitates weight loss, it impacts the appetite center of your brain. It makes you less hungry. So you are essentially eating less food. So the fact remains, if we wanna lose weight, we eat less and hopefully we move a little bit more. I believe that we can do that without this drug and in fact, if we look at the numbers and we say, okay, over 68 weeks, people experienced up to 15% of a body weight loss. Now, if you're 200 pounds and you're a woman and you're 5'7", you're thinking 30 pounds, that sounds amazing. That's a year and roughly four months. If we have you eating roughly 300 calories less a day and walking maybe six, 7,000 steps a day, we could lose 30 pounds in six months with zero negative side effects. Let, let me add, I, I, can, yeah. I can see that if employers are looking at the costs and thinking that a lot of people are taking it, not, not because they are facing health problems from being overweight, but because they wanna look different, that they might think twice about that. I imagine there's also gonna be a lot of pushback from people who truly need Ozempic or Wigo for, for their medical conditions. 
And, and I've heard from friends who use Ozempic about problems getting the actual drug. Do you think that employee, employer-sponsored health plans are doing enough to help people find these alternative ways of achieving overall wellness? I can't speak to whether the employers are doing enough because each and every company is different. And I would be lying if I told you I was familiar with exactly what they are doing. That said, let me also mention the fact that type 2 diabetes is reversible. And I was able to reverse type 2 diabetes in thousands of people over the past two decades with diet and exercise. And the number one way to resensitize somebody to insulin is through exercise. Even just walking is going to have a greater impact. And alternatively, there are other medications that we do know they can stay on long term, yeah. if that really is the case, right? But this one, we just don't know. And the side effects are profound. They're profound. One in 10 people will experience one of those more serious side effects. Jillian, I really appreciate that you've come on today and talked to us. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, is Apple making a play for college football coverage? We take a deeper look into how the tech giant's streaming apparatus is paying top dollar for live sports. Is Apple ready for some football, college football? ESPN reports Apple's presenting a streaming deal to Pac-12 for its television contract. Pac-12 is a college athletic conference. It has a current contract that expires after this school year. A deal with Pac-12 could expand Apple's reach into the sports streaming market, which already includes deals with Major League Baseball and Major League Soccer. Joining me now, the very first president of NBC Cable, founder of CNBC and currently editor-at-large at Newsweek, Tom Rogers. Hi, Tom. Hey, Contessa. Great to be with you. I want to start with the impact a streaming deal with Apple and Pac-12 would have on legacy media. What do you think? Well, I don't think this particular sports package would have that much impact. This is somewhat of a troubled conference. Uh, it's uh, losing its standing some. It's uh, losing uh, a couple of key schools. It's uh, lost its uh, broadcast contract with uh, ESPN and Fox. Um, but it is indicative of the fact that Apple TV Plus is building up its uh, sports content, uh, invested heavily in Major League Soccer, it's invested heavily in Major League Baseball. I think they'd like to have uh, sports possibly as appointment viewing uh, every night of the week. Uh, but uh, Apple TV Plus hasn't exactly been uh, a winner among streaming services yet either. So these are two uh, two properties with some challenges. Tom, if ESPN and Fox doesn't want Pac-12, what is this like monopoly? You're just going to go in and snatch up whatever real estate is still available? Well, I think uh, we'll probably see Apple going after some of the premier sports. I wouldn't be surprised to see them bidding on the NBA at all. Uh, but uh, remember, uh, while uh, something like ESPN, given the stress they're under, have to make some trade-offs going forward about just how much sports rights they're going to be able to uh, uh, lease in the future versus what they've been able to do in the past. And that does leave uh, 
uh, packages like this for an Apple to, to pick up. And I think uh, sports has its value in streaming to attract people to the set. Um, Apple is only doing now about 4% of the viewing minutes of Netflix, which makes it a, a real also ran with much, much higher churn. But its original programming is picking up in terms of its demand much more than it did. And if they can get marquee sports programming around it, that could really help buoy the amount of viewing it gets. Meanwhile, another streamer, Warner Brothers Discovery, set to report earnings tomorrow morning. And we know that they're going to be looking at the streaming numbers with the company's new Max app. Last quarter, Tom, the company reported 97.6 million subscribers across their direct-to-consumer division, which included HBO and the former HBO Max and Discovery Plus apps. But it should be noted that Warner Brothers Discovery does not report numbers for all the individual apps, but instead as a collective group. Does that matter to you when you're watching the, the, the report? Well, speaking of Apple, um, the way Warner reports its numbers is really not apples to apples relative to the other streaming services. Uh, they are including in their uh, numbers here uh, subscribers that are wholesale, uh, subs coming through cable or satellite in addition to the direct-to-consumer subscribers. So uh, they disclose that. Um, it uh, allows them, I think, to put forward a view of their streaming services as uh, profitable, uh, but it is different. It's not apples to apples the way uh, a number of the other legacy uh, media companies report their, their streaming numbers. You make a segue there the way that TV producers do, too. The apples to apples was pretty good. Thank you, Tom. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Time now for our Quicker Than the Ticker, all the news that mattered in the world of business. And, oh, my gosh, we just love adorable, hiccuping animals. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. A semi hauling lemons in New Jersey overcorrected and flipped. Hit another car, everybody's okay, but you know, when life gives you lemons. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie Gregoire Trudeau are separating. Eh? If you didn't win the lottery yesterday, donut worry. Krispy Kreme is giving away free donuts if you show them you're losing lottery ticket. So, you know, you win either way. NASA's getting into streaming, launching NASA Plus to live stream missions. It will also feature original content. Daily cute video alert, a giant panda hiccuping uncontrollably at a Chinese conservation and research center. The most expensive U.S. state to live in is, drumroll please, Hawaii. Based on monthly expenses of $3,070, Hawaii is 50% above the national average of $2,046 a month. But come on, it's paradise. Second, California. Third, New Jersey. Italian goalkeeper Gianluigi Buffon is retiring from professional soccer after a 28-year career. 60 seconds goes really fast. Coming up. With a stampede of Barbie fans heading to the movies, we might need an update on theater etiquette. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? Do we, need a, do we need an etiquette person to talk about all these people showing up and having their Barbie frenzy on? But yes, the manners expert to explain the do's and the don'ts of going to the movies. Stay with us.
Well, it's been a bonanza at the box office this summer. Last month, moviegoers spent more than $1.3 billion at the box office, nearly a 20% increase compared to the same month last year. But as big movies like Barbie or Oppenheimer are leading to really crowded theaters with very enthusiastic viewers, could it mean trouble for those who are looking for a chance to really immerse in the cinematography of Barbie? A new headline from the Wall Street Journal. Movie theater behavior has gone off the reels. Oh, I see what they did there. Finding a growing number of moviegoers showing up to the theaters, disrupting other audience members by texting, recording videos, taking pictures, even recording TikToks while the movie's playing. Is it here to stay or is the movie theater similar to concerts and just, you know, everybody's going to record? With me now, Mr. Manners himself, Manners expert Thomas Farley. Let me ask you, first of all, did you dress in pink when you went to see Barbie? You know, I did wear a romper, I must admit. I I had to go all in, but I was not texting or filming during the movie itself. What was the (laughs) bad—did you see bad behavior yourself, the things that you thought, no, this is even in the enthusiastic— party atmosphere of Barbie. This is a no-no. People were very celebratory beforehand. This was a uh, Elmo Drafthouse theater, which as a chain is very strict. They make it a point. I think it's part of their appeal. No cell phones. And if you're using one, they encourage other audience members to wave a card and say this person's using cell phone and they kick you out. Okay. So you think using a cell phone is a bad idea, but I saw selfies and videos and whatever of Barbie goers everywhere. So when is it okay to do that? Like in the, in the lead-ups and the previews? And the, when is that okay? Sure, I get it. And let's face it, we've been hearing about these movies for months, if not even a couple of years at this point. People are excited and the social media is all part of the fun. First of all, do it in the lobby. This is where we've got installations. We've got Barbie boxes. We've got big, big installations where it's perfect for a selfie or a commentary. Doing it in the theater, not so much you're really disturbing but also know your audience. If you're in Barbie, which is fun and splashy and goofy, probably be better than at a pivotal moment in Oppenheimer to be using your phone, and especially if you're talking. Okay, you also think that that it's important to keep your phone silent, and if you are gonna take a, a picture of yourself, what, it should not have a flash. That seems like a no-brainer. A no flash, if your phone has to come out for some reason, and it really shouldn't, but it has to come out, no flash, the phone is dim, you're not talking on it, and you are not texting away. We're there to be in the moment of a movie, not to be, get sucked into your moment of being on your phone. It's very distracting. You know, it's interesting, too, as theaters have tried to cater more and more to the experience of being at the movie theater. A lot of them, Alamo Draft House is one of them, I pick and, and others, are serving food while the movie's going on. You can actually order more food and whatever. Do you find it, I mean, you know, like the, the nachos next to you, it can be very annoying. As much as I dislike the phones out, I even more dislike the loud nachos, the loud popcorn, or worse, the slurper in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'll happily take somebody on their phone quietly next to me versus the slurper next to me. Okay, and then finally here, what about just the simple texting? Is that enough to annoy anybody? Because again, we were mentioning Alamo, they say no texting. They do. Here's my thinking on that. There are emergencies that crop Mm -hmm. up. There are babysitters that need to reach us. I get it. Have your phone on vibrate in your pocket. And if something comes up, excuse yourself. Don't take the call or the text in the phone. Rocky Horror Picture Show. There are no rules. Thank you. (laughs) That is your last call for tonight. We wish you a very mannerly evening. See you tomorrow.
People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.